You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to the Archaeology and Ale podcast. For those of you new to our podcast, Archaeology and Ale is a free monthly talk held upstairs at the Red Deer Pub on Pitt Street in Sheffield, provided by the Archaeology in the City Outreach Program from the University of Sheffield Archaeology Department. This month, we are presenting the results of a collaboration between Sheffield University Archaeology students and an existing local heritage project at Ward's End Cemetery in Sheffield. Our speakers, in order, are Chris Scott of the University of Sheffield, George Proctor and Howard Bailey of the Friends of Ward's End Cemetery and the Livesey Street Project, and Tom Maltus, again from the University of Sheffield. Please see the show notes for links to their website. You can also find them on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Okay, uh, thanks for coming, everybody. I'll just introduce the project. So it was a community archaeology project, and the way we picked it was we approached as many different people as we could, asking them if they had ideas for projects, rather than us imposing an idea. And the people that came forward who were the most interesting were the Friends of Ward's End Cemetery, uh, who were attached to the Liberty Street project. So what did I put next? That's roughly how we're going to do it. We're going to, but that'll become clear as we move through it. So the location of the project then, that's the Ollerton dog track you can just see in the bottom left-hand corner. And it's just over the river, uh, and that's in the Hillsborough area. Not a very clear map, but you can just see the red box there. So that's kind of where the site is and where the Friends of Ward's End exists. So I'll hand you over now to, how, uh, sorry, to George. He's going to talk about the Friends and their history. As with all good things... The ideal place is at the beginning. The beginning for us was 1857. The Reverend John Livesey, Reverend of St. Philip's, had a, a very nearly full churchyard. That, plus the closure of the Churchyard Act, meant that he had to find some more ground for burial purposes, otherwise he lost his licence. So he bought some land at Ward's End. This was about five acres, costing £2,000. He paid the majority of it. Um, bought it from a gentleman by the name of Montague John Burgoyne, gentleman of London. John Burgoyne built the road and the bridge. And for every funeral that went over the bridge, he got paid sixpence, an old sixpence. This was still being paid in 1926, and there were over 30,000 burials, so he got his money back. <laughs> it was started out fairly quietly. Um, the first few years were no trouble. Then there was um, 1862 came along, when the war and outrages w w took place. Everybody thought this was body snatching for the medical school, but it wasn't. What was happening was that the sexton, Isaac Howard, was actually digging up the bodies, burying them in a pit and reselling the plots. He was reselling the plots three times over. The sexton got six months in prison 
with illegal disinterment. Reverend John Libsey got three weeks in prison for falsifying church records. This came as a result of a of a man named Gretrick dying in the, in the medical uh, in the workhouse. He was taken to the medical school, and the section told the reverend that she'd been buried in church in in the, in the cemetery. So the reverend put the registered the, the burial, <coughs> and then to found out that he wasn't. He was still at the time of the burial. He was still in the medical hall. In fact, the sexton took a wheelbarrow all the way across Sheffield to the medical school and brought the body back in, in the wheelbarrow. This was eventually died down. And then we move on to 1864, the Great Sheffield Flood. It didn't touch the cemeteries that much, actually. That just damaged a few of the first few rows, but that's about it. After that, nothing went quite along without any problems. Then we get to about 1900. The churchyard, well, the, the land that he bought was now full. So he had, so that, so the, the church had to buy some more land over the railway line. We only wanted two cemeteries with a railway line running through them. The other one's in Keithley. And that's how we proceeded again, carried on from there. The first burial was 1857, a two-year-old child. She got the title of guardian of the cemetery, which varies according to which internet site you look at. The last burial was 1977. Two bodies that were found during renovation work at the cathedral. After that, the cemetery group was, in actual fact, the cemetery was neglected from, the, from about the 1930s onwards. And it was this that, that led to the formation of the Friends of Warden Cemetery. The Hillsborough Community Development Trust decided for the first Sheffield Environment Weeks to look for a project to get involved. And they found one in a cemetery. And then they got my colleague, Peter Quincy, to do a tour around the cemetery. And they <laughs> planned to put in a disabled ramp, to put some steps by the railway bridge, and to generally clear up the cemetery. This was in 1994 at the cost of about £45,000. Interest faded after that, unfortunately. The friend group was reformed again in 2000. And that's, and that's when, when I first joined. We started doing regular tours. We started getting doing regular appearances at local history fairs, family history fairs, etc. We had a small membership, only about 20-odd, 30-odd. And in 2006, the Hoover Trust folded. I won't, I won't go into the reasons for it, except it's a load of community politics and 
that's not really of any interest. But that left us on our own until a certain gentleman came along, knew me Howard Bailey, in 2013? Yeah. 2013. And he, he was a lecturer at a College and he took his class into the cemetery regularly as part of the, as part of the course. And he started getting involved and it was his idea to extend this extend the interest not just to the cemetery but to the whole length of Liberty Street because <coughs> as Howard says if the if the entrance is is if the access to, to it is, is not much is not up to much nobody's going to come so that's the so then he got involved all the various the various local companies involved the itself Sheffield University became involved with the landscape planning department and we've been going on together since then and for the next part I think it'll probably best be house take over <coughs> Right, hello everybody, and um, thanks very much for inviting us tonight. Um, there's so much going on with the Liberty Street project at the moment that I did find it really difficult to, to decide what to leave out. And even then, I think I've included too much. So I'm going to try and whiz through this fairly quickly. Um, this one, is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So how did it start, the Liberty Street project? I was working with students with learning disabilities, as George has explained, and we were looking at how people harm or help the environment. And Livesey Street was a mess, and the cemetery was overgrown and neglected. There was fly tipping, there was litter, largely from our own students at the college. Um, and, you know, instead of just taking photographs of it and saying, ooh, what could we do better? Uh, we actually said, well, let's do something. Um, so my first point of call was, was to find out <coughs> Who, who was doing anything with it at the moment. And of course that was Pete and George, who are, you know, I often describe as, as two local heroes really, because I just think it's marvellous what they've done and kept it going over the years. Um, but then I thought, well, we can't do this on our own. And um, I contacted local businesses and we held our first Lizzie Street project meeting. I just got, how do I go back? Sorry. That, uh, I don't know if you can see that picture very well, but, but I included it. It's, it's a photograph taken from a, um, a website called Britain from Above, and it's part of English Heritage, I think. Um, and what you can see on there is, if you, if you, you see the, the area that looks like a, a rather nice, it looks like a rather large putting green, actually. But that, that is actually the national grid land. Um, to the, just to the left of that, you might be able to make out the chapel. I don't know if it's a sort of coming down from the little aeroplane left-hand corner at about, what would that be, about five o'clock, half past four, something like that. You can just make out the chapel. That, the cemetery is on that hillside and you can see the path going up from the bridge that goes over the River Don. To the right is Olerton Stadium and to the left is Bassett's. Um, Britain from Above is a fantastic website and you can waste an awful lot of time on it because I, I certainly do. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's well worth a look. And, and I, I like that picture because it has so much in it 
to do with the, I think that was taken about 1930 something <coughs> in that photograph, and of course you can see the, the Neepsend power station there in the back, which of course was demolished long ago, um, and that beautifully manicured piece of grass there, which had football pitches, there are tennis courts and what have you, uh, it's unrecognisable today, but um, when you can zoom in on some of these photographs, you can actually see people walking across the bridges from the from the uh, from the power station and 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 people um, going to and from work and so on. It's and and all that area behind the 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 dog track and the um, bassets is is allotments. You know, I mean, of course, that's not there either now, but it's it, a very, very different place now to uh, then to the one we see now. Okay, so when I got um, first got involved, that was what the chapel site looked like. Um, is that right, isn't it, George? I think yeah. there had been one or two clearances in the past, but of course, what happens is they do a, a quick, you know, a clean up, cut everything down, and then six months later, you wouldn't know anybody'd been there. And you know the important thing for us was to, to try and find ways to make sure this was something we can continue with and be sustainable. The original aims of the project, I, I took this off a, a paper that I, I actually presented to the, the business partners um, when, I, when we had our first industry project meeting. Um, I said to them that it wasn't just about the past, it was also about the present and the future. And that was for the local community, in particular the young people and that included the, the students at the college, the businesses that are located there, and for Sheffield and the wider community. But it was also about, and this really was for our students as much as anybody else, it was about social responsibility, it was about taking pride in the area, a sense of ownership and respect for what was there, and trying to engender this sense of community. And two years on, I think those things are all true now. Who helped us? Well, the Sheffield City Council, we had a stewardship agreement with them to actually work in the cemetery. I won't go into all the details, but it's not as easy as, as you think, just saying, oh, I'll go and do a bit of work in the cemetery. There's a lot of, um, a, a lot of uh, paperwork that has to be completed and risk assessments and all the rest of it. And of course, it's owned, the land is owned still by the church, I think, not Phil, but, but it's um, maintained by the council. Right. And of course, it's public access. So there's all <coughs> sorts of things that have to be be covered within that. Amy have been absolutely fantastic. Um, the uh, accounts director of Amy is somebody who, if I if I contact him um, in the morning, I will have a reply in the afternoon, and, and that's happened again today over something. Um, he's be, he spent two well he didn't, but he he got a, a team of students in, uh, staff involved doing a, a complete clearance of the street and later on then the chapel site and has you know, done a lot as far as collection. When we've collected litter, they've picked it up for us. I only have to text him and, and he'll send somebody to pick that up. Um, it's, I can't really sort of overestimate, well, I can't begin to describe how bad the street was. I mean, the, the National Grid land, there was a, an old concrete wall which had collapsed and people were going in there and just chucking rubbish in there. Um, the street itself was so overgrown where, the, where shrubs were growing out of the walls and across the pavements that people couldn't even, you had to walk into the road to get past them. Um, it's very different now. Um, the National Grid, they got in touch with them as well. That was quite a job trying to find out who actually owned that piece of land. But it's the National Grid. They replaced the fencing for us, got rid of the wall, replaced fencing. They donated equipment. 
They help with sowing some wildflowers and Chris Plester, who's their sustainability advisor, has, has in the past and continues to give fantastic support to the project. And we're looking at doing something with that national grid land, which I feel is key to the whole of the project, really, because it, it links the top end of the street to the cemetery and the river. And, and without doing something down there, it, it, it feels like a very desolate place. So we're, we're really hopeful that, that, that that's going to happen, that the college will lease the land and create some sort of gardening project down there. Um, Olerton Stadium, again, they donated equipment, they assisted with the cleanup, they hosted the, the Liverpool Street meetings, and they also helped fund the Liverpool Street mural. Um, there's a quick photograph of some of my students working with two members of the park department. You can see that they cleared the, the chapel site there. That was the first time it was cleared. Um, and of course, you know, we, the, my students got some strimmer training. Um, which was, you know, this was all part of what we were trying to do. We were trying to make sure that we uh, had students learning new skills while we were improving, you know, making improvements to the area so it could be used as a, as a resource. Other supporters have been Swan Morton who donated the Strimmer for us. Sheffield College staff and students supported in a variety of ways, including new courses with students working in the area. Um, even Cooper's car spares on the corner have allowed us to store tools and equipment with them. Hillsborough Fencing have been involved. Mondelez International are absolutely massive and not doing as much as they should do, I don't think, but, but, but I'm working on them. So, um, but they are still involved and they, they know what's going on and I, and I think it's just a matter of time before they really, um, get, really get stuck in and help us. Um, and of course the University of Sheffield who have been fantastic through things like the archaeology project and also, I think George made reference to it, the uh, landscape architecture students. We have um, 50 students this year doing designs for the whole of the street, uh, including the cemetery. And this, that, that happened last year as well. And that's, you know, that, that's wonderful. We need to be generating our own traffic because it's a fairly sort of isolated place. So all these sort of educational things and positive activities are really going to help improve the image of the area. Oh, that was our Amy cleanup day. I mean, the, people didn't want to walk past this mound of vegetation. It was just, it was quite scary, really, you know. But um, they absolutely blitzed it. So, um, and that's some of my students working in the cemetery, trying to clear the, the, the chapel site and also expose the edge of the path. And then we had our first remembrance service, and there's George laying the wreath. And that was the total, well, apart from the photographer, of course. Uh, everybody who was there is in that picture and that was some of my students, Pete's there and Katie and that was there, well it was a contribution of Bondolese, they gave us the wreath didn't they, yeah. on that occasion yeah. so um, but that's how we said last year which was our second member of service we had about 35 yeah, about people that. involved um, and we're hoping we'll have a lot more than that this year and that's something that's going to continue in the future. Um, I'm, I'm Put a few slides of the Lizzie Street mural because I think it, it really shows what can be done. I think that you know the street looks so much tidier, and I, the whole idea of the mural was to bring the community together and give the, the street uh, an identity. And you know, I think it's fairly clear which street you're on there. <laughs> uh, and of course, just at the bottom of the road, you can see that the. The, the National Grid lands is on the right-hand side and just beyond is really where Ward's End Cemetery is in amongst those trees. Um, that's what it looked like before. The college is on the right-hand side. 
And that's roughly what it looked like after I took that last weekend, other weekend. No, it was last weekend, I think. Um, I put a few of the images on there because what we thought, Olsen Stadium put some money into this um, and so did Sheffield College. And what we wanted was to, to have some images which represented things that have happened in the past, but also things that were, were going on now. And I've put a selection of them on there. The 84 at the top left is um, a reference to the 84th Regiment of Foot, which was George Lambert's regiment, and George Lambert who won the VC, um, and he's buried in the Indian Mutiny, yeah. and he's buried in the cemetery. Um, mm. The next one along to the right is a reference to the Great Sheffield Flood. There is a story that a baby was rescued by a dog. We don't really know whether that's true, but it's part of the... We, we like to believe it is. Um, Buffalo Bill's Wild West show was at Olerton on two occasions. There are images to do with the, you know, the steelworks around the area. Um, Swan, Swan Morton Blade there um, in the middle. The speedway from the stadium. We've got Bassett's, Bertie Bassett. And the Oreo biscuit, which shows we've come up to date, you see, with Mondeley. Um, and of course, uh, stuff to do with, with um, Sheffield College. Um, what we're doing some IT or, or business or something, and on the right-hand side, that's the new. That's supposed to be somebody from the new performing arts block, which has just opened uh, this year. Okay. So what does? Oh, why does the project include? I should have read this through, shouldn't I? Um, so what does the project include? Um, it includes the heritage of the area. It isn't just the cemetery. It's a. It's about the surrounding area. You know, we, we we're looking at. Ward's End, Olerton and Hillsborough, aren't we really? And, and, and Neap's End and down that way. Um, environmental improvements that we can make. Uh, I think if you look at that picture on the right hand side, you'll see that we've got a beautiful spot really. If you, if you ignore the buzzing from the electricity cables and you look past the fly tipping, that's what you see, a beautiful river full of trout and grayling with kingfishers and all sorts. It's, it, it can be and, and will be one day a beautiful spot. George Lambert VC, his grave's on the left-hand side of the picture. Um, what barriers have we got to overcome? Well, it's, it is a rather disconnected and remote place. We have antisocial behaviour down there, including litter, uh, fly tipping, quad bikes and so on. Um, we have accessibility issues. The parking, it's double yellow lines all the way down to the bridge. And we have parking for about five or six cars. It's not a very attractive uh, approach to it, although no. we, are, we are getting better, I think, with that. Um, and the safety angle, you know, again, with the fly tipping, and people don't feel it, it. It is a safe place. It's just people don't necessarily feel safe down there because of, of the fact it's a bit remote. Um, and again, you know, things like getting to the W lines, having people being able to park there, having c people constantly visiting, will make that a much uh, feel a much safer used place. Um, it's about awareness because a lot of people don't even know it is, it's there. You know, even people in the the local business don't know there's a cemetery with thirty thousand burials there, and they don't know understand the history. So, um, having the mural hopefully you know highlights some of those things. Um, and engagement, we need to be engaging with the local communities and that's going to be a challenge for us. Um, so where are we now? Well, to cut a long story short, uh, Friends of Ward's End Assembly now constituted group, which they weren't until July, which means we can now start applying for funding. Uh, I talked to everyone 
at great length and bore everybody. And when we go out anywhere, my wife says, don't ask him, please. Um, but I do, and I, and I post stuff on, on, on um, photo forums and anything, really. And I, I, I kid people, I'm just putting a nice picture and I'll stick, stick a gravestone on or something. But, um, but there are 40,000 members that I'm sort of, well, well a potential 40,000 members that I'm communicating with. Um, of various forums and and I put something on recently I got so I, I was all night just answering things on my on my phone so and we've had through the publicity like that we've now got on that Facebook group that Tom and uh, Chris set up as part of their project it now has it actually now has 215 members I think added two more today um, but you know that that's really been because we're just telling everybody about it all the time um, we've got a stewardship agreement with the Council of the Cemetery, which George, Pete and I signed the other day, so which means we're going to start uh, working in there. The University of Sheffield Landscape Architects are doing their project for a second year. We're part of the Green Spaces and Heritage Network forums, and we're looking at a number of sources of funding, including the Tesco carrier bag funding, I think, for the for five pence that you're paying for your carrier bags, you know, is being used for good causes and we're chasing a bit of that. Um, the Forestry Commission, uh, I think there's something else as well, and, we, and we're actually talking to the council on, on Friday about perhaps woodland management, things like that, and what we can do to try and improve the site. We don't want to spoil it, you know what I mean? We, it, it is a unique site with fantastic woodlands, the, the, and, and that we want to keep the nature and the character of the place, um, but it does need managing, there's no doubt about it, and improving. Um, and we're also working with lots of other groups as well. Um, so what next? Well, partnerships are the key to this. Um, you know, the, the, the key word, which I don't suppose I've probably even put up there, but the key word is sustainability. You know, how do we, we make sure this isn't just another one-off? Well, I think we've got a lot of stuff in place now um, with a lot of groups that we can link in with, but that is the key, partnerships. Um, Sheffield City Council, National Grid, local businesses, the university, and uh, a, a number of environmental groups, I'm working with all of those. Um, there's a range of uh, funding opportunities, as I've just mentioned. There are training education opportunities with the, the college and the university. Um, I'm also looking at supported internships, and that's providing employment opportunities for um, particularly people with learning disabilities, because we have a shocking record in this country generally, and I think particularly in Sheffield. It's a very, very small proportion of people with disabilities actually get into any sort of employment. And that's something that I think that we can do something about. And as there are such massive cuts to the council budgets and less and less people being employed to work in the green spaces, um, I think there are gaps there that could be filled by people doing meaningful work. Um, and I, and I, I'm not talking about cheap labour, I'm talking about training people to, to, to go and work in a variety of situations really, but learning their skills on the job. There are plans for what they call the country park in the city. That's part, the whole of Parkwood Springs. And um, we went to a, a meeting about that not long ago. We can be part of that. We're at a strategic point, really, um, geographically, because we are the one place, aren't we, where the river yeah. is crossed by, you know, so that people can cross, <laughs> cross the river into, uh, and go up into Parkwood Springs. Um, and what an entrance it can be if we do something with that cemetery. What a fantastic... Um, approach to this country park that can be. 
Um, we, talk, we want to tell the stories. It isn't just a, a, a big collection of stones, right? It's, you know, memorials. We want to tell the stories of the people that are buried there uh, through performance, spoken word and music. And I'm working with a performing arts lecturer at the moment um, and also a, a local writer and songwriter who actually has had hits with Take That, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And Tony Christie. So... Um, and he, he's he's got been doing a lot of work recently. He's, he's gone off the boil just recently because he'd been so successful doing something else. But he is coming back to us shortly. Um, and we are actually currently looking at setting up a, a theatre group. We're looking at positive and creative use of and for the area. And there's lots of opportunities down there. Um, we wanted to engage the local community through a variety of projects project, and we want to get rid of the double lines that's you know it seems like it's so hard to do just do a simplest thing like that but get rid of those double lines would make such a massive difference because people can actually visit and spend some time there which they can't really do it um a lot of the, what we're doing is about trying to change people's perceptions. It has got a reputation of being somewhere where you know people don't really want to go, or there's antisocial behaviour, there's quad bikers, there's fly tipping. We can change that. Um, and as part of the bigger picture for Hillsborough, um, I'm working with Karen Sherwood, who has the Coppola Gallery at Hillsborough, um, to promote next year's Hillsborough Festival. And um, heritage is an important part of that, and a great opportunity to tell people what we're up to. Um, this change in perceptions idea, it, it, what she's wanted to do is change people's perceptions of Hillsborough because a lot of people outside of Sheffield remember Hillsborough or know Hillsborough for the, uh, the terrible tragedy. Um, but it sh you know, and nobody should forget that, but it shouldn't be the only thing that Hillsborough is known for. And so a free arts festival, which has been rec recognised outside of the city, is really what we're aiming for. And you know, it, that's all about changing perceptions. I think that's about it. Oh, that was just a photo I found, again, from my favourite website, Britain from Above. Um, and I just think it's a great picture because you can see the chapel very clearly there and also the houses. And hardly any trees, George. Oh. Amazing, isn't it, really? So. So I think George and Howard have demonstrated that the site is, is important to Sheffield and that the wider project has obviously got a lot of scope and again I think that's really important to Sheffield which is pretty much why we, we undertook it and the project had two aims, it had an archaeological aim but it also had a deeper sociological aim which tied into the, the Liversey Street project. So you know, why did it have a sociological aim? First and foremost we needed some grades for an undergraduate uh, module but key to that is we, we wanted to demonstrate that heritage is consumed and it's used by people who are alive today. I think most people already know that, but a lot of people who don't exist in the world of archaeology just don't seem to believe that that's true. So that, this underlines the research question, basically. There's an active engagement with the historic environment, affecting an individual's sense of local identity, and does this in turn affect social cohesion? 
The key element here is does active engagement, because we all passively engage with the historic environment every day when we're walking around, but does getting your hands dirty in the ground actually change that? So the way we did it then, questionnaire before people started digging to gain some perceptions, and then a questionnaire afterwards, we married the two up to see how the project had changed things. That's standbacks, can't remember where I've put on the slides. So the first thing was, do people want to live in a nice world? I know that sounds a strange question. But I just wanted to make sure that it was true. So this is people who think that it is important to take pride in their local area. Really in the way, huh? There you go, strongly agree, agree. So the blue bars are people want to live in a nice area, but the red bars are what do people think their area is actually like? Do they think there's a sense of community spirit? And as you can see, you've got quite a lot of people agreeing. There's a big chunk of people who don't think they live in a nice area, but they want to live in a nice area. Do people feel local? There's not much point as putting people on buses and driving them to Stonehenge, making them dig for two weeks, and asking them if they feel better about Sheffield. So we needed to make sure that people felt local. Um, we didn't actually demarcate what local was geographically. It's one of the things that we, people kept asking us. But you know, when you really think about it, a locale, when you feel local somewhere, it's not a line that you draw with a pencil, it's a sensation you generate inside. So we left that out. So as you can see, you know, just clearly, a big chunk of people definitely thought this area was local to them. Next one. This is everybody on that chart there is people who said they felt local. And the people in red are people who know about the history and feel connected to it, and the people in blue don't. So even before we'd started, we can see that everybody who feels local to an area, there tends to be a slight skew that that you know, commitment to history does seem to skew it. Complicated diagram, this one. The blue bit and the green bit are quite obvious. If you're aware of your history, you feel a connection to it. And if you're not aware of it, you don't feel a connection to it. What was surprising was this purple section here. And this is if, if people have no awareness of their history in their area, and yet they still feel a sense of connection to it. So there's that desire to actually consume their history, even though they actually don't know anything about it. So it, you know, it kind of highlights really that, that archaeological projects and historical projects actually have a place. Post-excavation uh, then, so this is after people had been digging. And we can see this is basically the blue bars are, do you want to know more about history? And the red is a stronger connection to the history that you know. These nine people who disagree are the same nine people, and you'll see them in the next graph as well. We just didn't reach them. But, but you can see here, strongly agree and agree. There's a big, a big shift. Everybody who got involved, apart from these nine people. I know who they are. Dear. Yeah. <laughs> need to round them up and give them a good slap in. There's always nine. Yeah. But you know, it, people wanted to learn more about the history, and they felt more connected to it at the end of the project. It cl clearly demonstrates that. You've seen this graph already. This is the people wanting to live in a happy world, people not living in a happy world. <coughs> This is post-excavation then. So this is, the blue bar is the same. We just worded it slightly differently. We use the word community as opposed to area. This seems to be, people seem to think it's less important community than an area. I don't know what that's, what's going on there. There's perhaps some more research needs to be done. But then, you know, did we improve the sense of community spirit? Red bars agree, strongly agree. And there, that's, there's those nine people again. Needs to be rounding up. Just to put this into some context, which uh, Tom's going to talk about, um, it's all right, Tom, I'd finish with that. The people who came down, some of them were only there for a few hours at a time. And a lot of the time, they just turned up en masse. And we were stood there trying to find jobs for them to do. So there were people stood around a little bit bored sometimes. So I think those nine people might have just been the people who we didn't put a dumpy level in their hands or get them troweling something back. 
Um, so this is just a summary of it then. People do have a desire to live in a, a socially co a cohesive world. People consume the past and they construct <laughs> local identity. Critically, even when they do not know the specifics of their past, they know that it's important to them. So the projects in 74% of people, they wanted to learn more about the history and they felt more connected <coughs> to it. And in 64% of participants, they felt an improved sense of social cohesion. So I think that pretty much, you know, overall, I think it was a successful project and it demonstrates the value of community archaeology in a wider positive kind of social aspect. There is a place for, so for this kind of social action and archaeology seems to be a good tool to do it with. So I'll hand you over to Tom. He's going to tell you actually what we found in the ground uh, and what it all means. Okay. So just to start, me and Chris can't really take a lot of credit for the excavation itself. We had wonderful volunteers, which was Hugh and Ken here, helped out a lot, and that's Eileen, which some of you may know. And we had some students from the Hillsborough College who were very useful, and they did most of the work, whilst me and Chris stood around and pretended to supervise things. And of course, Colin, who helped us with the total station, bit of a Sheffield legend. Yeah, next pitch, please. Thanks. And so this was the, the final project of our spring <coughs> excavation. And we had two main aims for the excavation. We wanted to assess the conditions of the chapel remains and if stone robbing took place or anything like that. <coughs> and we wanted to identify what the interior used to look like. Uh, yeah, next slide, please. And so luckily, about two days into the excavation, Pete Quincy managed to find this wonderful um, plan. This is the architect's, uh, architect's plan of what it originally looked like. And so we managed to work alongside this and come to some quite interesting conclusions. That, uh, we actually found a few differences to this. You'll see in the plan, there is the main porch area, but there's no back entrance. And as the next slide will show, we found a little rear entrance. This is um, on the far side of the chapel. And this goes back towards the sexton's house. So we think he came in here and through this little rear entrance. And next slide again, please. And this is back to the plan. And what you'll notice is on the, uh, the rear end, there's this platform, and it only reaches through the middle of the, um, the chapel itself. And they took up a lot of space with these benches. And you can't read that because it didn't blow up very well, but it says the maximum occupation was 140 people. So they really crammed them in there to get a nice, uh, a nice atmosphere going on, I guess. And next slide. But what we actually found was this is the... Um, back platform that I showed you, and it actually stretches the whole way across the, um, the width of the chapel. And, but what we found was that's very, very thin. I mean, one step and you're, you're off it. So we thought it might be a back corridor because it runs off towards the rear entrance, so a back corridor for when the person running the procession or whatever was going on the funeral could come in through this rear entrance. And this picture is also quite interesting because you can see here, sorry, I'm in the way, this is what we thought was the foundation layer. This kind of, it was kind of sandstony stuff, whilst this stuff is the actual floor layer. And so what we think was going on was that there was a central aisle running from this middle ground here from the back to there. <laughs> uh, this isn't very clear, but there's also the same stuff on either end of the chapel. So we think there was a middle aisle that you could see in the plans that was either stolen because it was a nice dressed stone, or if it was wood or something, it was taken out. And so, yeah. That's quite interesting. And the next slide. But the really cool finds were these blue tiles. And these seem really strange to be in a, a mortuary context because they're really bright blue and they don't scream 
uh, a sensitive ceremony to me, but we were lucky enough to find these few that joined up together, and we managed to get this one, which joins to the floor. So we made this quite optimistic interpretation of what it might look like. And we didn't find any um, kind of rounded or shaped stone uh, tiles. So we think it probably went up to about a meter high, up to the windows, and surrounded the whole of the procession because we found them throughout every area of the chapel itself. So they're surrounded by this blue tiling. And a bit of a, a guesswork interpretation to get some good marks in our project. We figured because this was a cemetery of the working people, all the famous names in um, Sheffield are buried at the general cemetery. Whilst this was more the working classes of Sheffield, we thought this might have given them a little taste of the classic Victorian pomp and procession that is involved with funerals. And yeah, but obviously unprovable. Uh, next slide, please. So this is our more recent excavation. This was in September. And what we tried to do, we wanted to characterize both the front and the back entrance. But the back was completely taken back by nature. The, it was completely grown over. And unfortunately, we only had a few volunteers uh, <laughs> in September turn up. So we excavated this little front porch area. And we came out of this lovely cleaned back surface. And what we figured out, next slide, please. This is Ken's wonderful reconstruction. Sorry, I'm going to have to jump back and forth with these a bit. And so back again, please. <laughs> so we think this wall was that bigger main wall, which kind of goes up, whilst this one, yeah, that big one, whilst this was the, uh, the boundary of the smaller outer wall where everyone would come in, this one. And but, sorry, and again. <coughs> and this was quite strange because we had this outer area which had a big dressed stone. It was really quite good quality stone and kind of this really early tarmac-y paving thing. So we think this was a porch area where they might have driven up the cars from the road over the river and uh, brought in the, the, the caskets and whatever was being done through this first entrance. We tried to find the boundary of where the stones ended, these things, but we couldn't, to be honest. We, uh, we only had two days of excavation, and we sunk a, a one by one to try and find the extent. And we thought we overestimated massively, but we still didn't find it. We just found these stones carrying on. So I think it probably carried on quite a, quite a way. So yeah, whatever that says. And so that's the real summary of the excavation. We've got a report, which we could make available, but it's about 40 pages long. So it's shifting through a bunch of boring stuff first. But we'll try and put it out there so you guys can read about the details. And yeah. That's my bit. But what we really, really tried to make clear was the importance of the Livesey Street project in getting a sense of community identity and raising awareness of the cemetery so people want to go back there rather than just to razz their little motorbikes around and kind of wreck our, our nice mortuary chapel. So if everyone could like our Facebook group, by the way, type in Wards and Cemetery into Facebook and like it. If we get up to 300 members, I'll, uh, I'll thank the 300th person. That would be lovely. Uh, yeah, so I think that's everything for us. Thank you very much. We'll leave this with uh, Ken's wonderful recreation of what the chapel looked like. Yeah. Which is uh, a lot nicer than our lengthy and horrible report. Yeah. Thank you very much.
has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.